Welcome again. Thanks for being at Grace. We welcome Paulding as well. And you braved the snow. You're here. We're, we're glad you're here. And uh, I hope you're enjoying the service today. We do want to just remind you of something that uh, Angie already mentioned at our announcements that Kalahari is still going on. That's uh, an event that uh, Zach is leading and uh, that's got over 2,000 teens at it in Sandusky, Ohio. Uh, super cool stuff happening there. I sat in on a session last night, just great stuff. We actually have a video clip for you to see kind of what's happening in Kalahari. like fun maybe after service we all just go over there jump in the pool you know do the surfing yeah it'd be great yeah it's good good stuff it's just uh it's great I know last it's basically they have a session on Friday night session Saturday morning Saturday night uh, this morning I know Saturday morning uh, they had I, I think a, a few hundred kids responded in salvation and and last night there were several also in the service that I was in just great great stuff so continue praying for that that everybody's coming on a ton of volunteers from grace making that happen and everybody's on their way back this afternoon also want to remind you of something else uh, we just want to make sure everybody knows where we're at on this building project we plan on starting this spring and so if you're a member of grace there's actually a ballot for you to pick up. We're going to vote next Sunday, just really an affirmation on moving forward, but you can vote early today if you'd like. But what's happening is, uh, which we've been telling you all along, is as we planned this project, which we planned about four years ago, as we did that, uh, we invited four different companies to uh, engage in bids. Three of them did, and two, all three of them we had worked with to some extent in the past, including Janata and Herner, who built this building, and Klaus, who built the building next door. But this time, the winning bid went to a local company, KF Ventures, and they gave us the low bid and also, by far, the best value, and we're really excited about that. But it's just that time where we just want to remind everybody and just uh, ask if you're a member to look that stuff over, just asking for your affirmation to continue in the direction that we're going. Again, a lot of people have already been investing in this are, are growing with grace or last uh, March we talked about taking the next step and uh, and all that's looking good and falling into place and just want you to be aware of that so thanks for doing that we're in a series third week called steam momentum for life and what we're talking about is once somebody becomes a believer uh, they grow in Christ that's the normal thing that should happen we grow closer and closer to God throughout our life and more and more of our rough edges are kind of knocked off. 
But sometimes, occasionally, you'll find somebody who has become a believer and their Christian life has sort of hit a plane where, where they're no longer feeling like they're growing closer to God or they're growing deeper in, in their relationship with God. And, and sometimes uh, those people will feel kind of like their lives are, are a little stagnant, just a little stale, not as fresh as it used to be. And really, that's what we're addressing today, the Christian life, once we have Christ in us, and, and that starts by placing our faith in Jesus alone for our salvation. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. But once we do that, that we would experience this new momentum for life, and that's what we're talking about. We started this way, that once we become a believer, and, and not assuming that everybody here is, but if you are a Christian, once you become a believer, the question that we might ask is, what's the most important thing to God? What's most important? And, and as we were discussing last Sunday, actually in the Bible, somebody asked Jesus that very question. And uh, I'd like to read that passage again. It's from Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. Jesus, he's in his ministry, and some people are trying to discredit him. They're asking him what they think are tough questions. But Jesus always has the answer, so that's not going so well for him. But anyway, picking it up in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. So they're testing Jesus. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And we talked last time how Jesus had this gift of turning deep spiritual concepts into unforgettable practical truths that we can put into practice in our life. And that's just what Jesus did when he answered this Pharisee. This week I was reading a story about a senator who, had, who was also a surgeon turned senator. And he was at the, uh, a national prayer bre breakfast a few years ago and given a talk. And then somebody was, that was hearing that was, was describing that. And, and this man had actually performed 150, over 150 heart transplants. And he was kind of telling everybody how that was. And then he was specifically talking about the point in the procedure where, the, where they actually grafted in the heart into the recipient. And he said everybody on the surgical team, that's all they could do. And they would all kind of hold their breath and wait to see whether the heart would start beating, which was key. And as he was explaining that, this person that was writing about it said, it's almost like he stopped talking in scientific terms at this point and started talking in more reverent spiritual terms about this mystery, this doctor called it. And then he went on to explain how it seems that the heart, they, they, science knows the heart is more than just a pump. Heart actually pumps 1,900 gallons of blood through 60,000 miles of blood vessels every day 
in all of us. But what they're saying, it's more than just a physical pump. Because they're discovering that it seems like um, there are hormones released in the heart that have kind of a brain-like function. And, and they have what they call a cellular memory. And so when they graft in a new heart into a patient, the patient's receiving more than a heart. They're receiving a heart that has this cellular memory. And that's what starts it beating. And they're all just waiting for that moment. And then when it happens, they're kind of saying, this is kind of beyond science, you know, just the mystery of it. Well, when one of us becomes a Christian, that means that we've understood that we're flawed people, more flawed than, than we ever want to admit. But then we come to this understanding that we're actually more loved than we ever dared dream. That God loves us, that God knows everything about us, every bad thing that we've ever done. He loves us anyway. And not only just loves us with words, he loves us with action, allowing Jesus Christ to come and sacrifice and pay our penalty for sin in a just and righteous eventual universe. And when we come to that understanding, the moment we place our faith, not in ourselves or anything that we could accomplish, but in Jesus and Jesus alone, at that moment... Scripture says we are, it's like we have a brand new heart grafted into our body. A new life. A new heart. With this desire, along with salvation, to serve God. Not serve God in order to earn our salvation. That's not it. We cannot earn it. It's serve God in gratitude for his love toward us. And so sometimes I wonder if... Uh, if we need kind of a heart checkup, and this seems a good month to do that. But as believers, I, I think sometimes we need a checkup on our new heart. Have you ever wondered, because we study the New Testament, which was written by eyewitnesses but 2,000 years ago, and, and all the teaching there is in the first century context. Do you ever wonder what it would be like if you could talk to Jesus face-to-face -face on earth today? Am I the only one that ever wonders something like that? You know, what, if, what if Jesus was right here? And, uh, and he sat on this stool, and, and he was here to just talk to one of us, or say he's talking to me. And then I'm like, you know, and then maybe I just ask him, because you sometimes wonder, do I even, you know, am I figuring this out? Am I living, God, the way you want me to live? And so we just ask, Jesus, am I doing what you want me to do? And then maybe Jesus says, well, Kevin, do you remember the, the one main thing that I told you to do? And then at this point, I'd be really excited because I'd be like, booyah, yeah, I remember. I, I just read it. Yeah, I remember. I know the answer to this one. Love, love you back. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love God with everything you got. That's the answer. And then what if Jesus said, well, okay, you got it. How are you doing with that? Are you doing that? And I'd be like, well, well, be getting a little nervous. I'd be like, well, what do you mean? And what if he said something like, well, Kevin, what I'm asking you is, what are you doing now that you wouldn't be doing if it wasn't because you're doing it for loving me? What are you doing now that you wouldn't be doing 
or that you're only doing because you're loving me? What, what would that be? And then when we start thinking about that, we realize how many mixed motives we have even when we're doing good things. It's a little scary. I think it's good for us to always have this kind of heart check. How do we love God? Scripture says the way we love God is, to, is obedience. And this is what everybody gets messed up because they think obedience to God is what somehow earns salvation when the whole Bible is explaining to us that is not the way it is. We are saved by faith or trusting Christ alone. It's a free gift. We can't earn it in any way. But then we're called to love him back. And when we do that, that means we start doing what he tells us to do, or at least we're trying to do that. But when we say love God back with obedience, that sounds so much like a task. It's not the way we talk about love in human terms, human to human. And so that's what we looked at last Sunday. We were saying, what if this was a little more practical? What if we looked at this obedience and loving God back, maybe in a more practical way, the way we would talk about loving each other or the way we'd talk about maybe two people loving each other in marriage? And if we did that, we might uh, think of it in terms of a popular book that was written by Gary Chapman. Anybody aware of the book called The Love Languages? I mean, a lot of people know this. Put your hand up. You've heard of this book, The Love Languages. This psychologist, Christian psychologist guy, he just kind of comes up with this theory. And he says, basically, human beings, they love each other in five basic ways, five categories, if you will. And, uh, and then he, he, he says, basically, it's we love people by quality time, spending time with somebody. That's how we show them that we love them. By words of encouragement, the sort of building them up verbally. Uh, we love people by acts of service. And we love people by gift giving. And then we love people by physical touch. It's kind of interesting because if we wanted to get practical about our love with God, we could take four out of five of these and apply it directly to our relationship with God. The only one that doesn't work is physical touch because God's not here physically for us to touch anymore. But if there was a way to do physical touch, I think we would do it through communion service. What Jesus left us, the bread and the cup that symbolized his body and his blood and what he did for us, which we will be actually doing next week. But I want to look at these four. We actually already looked at the first two without putting it in those terms, which was quality time and words or praise to God. Last week we talked about, hey, if you love God, the first thing that you're going to want to do is just spend time with God. Just spend time with him. You know, create time to be with God. Just experience his presence. It's not like always it has to be even in prayer, like we always have to do the talking. It could just be just enjoying his presence. And then we talked about words. Well, God doesn't really need to be encouraged, but we are told to praise him. So we, we focus on God and we spend time with God inside that time that we can praise God for who he is and his attributes and his characteristics like his strength, his power, he created everything. His love, which is astounding, that he's outside of time. I was kind of reflecting on this the last few days. You know, he created time, he's outside of time. Just, just, and when we do that, God doesn't need us to do that for his sake. God doesn't need anything from us. 
what, what it does, though, is it changes our perspective and it helps us to live the Christian life. So those are two of the, two of the four that we're going to talk about. So the next one is acts of service. If we want to practically love God, and this is the most important command, well, the one way we could do it is through acts of service, just like we would do in a marriage. I'll give you an example. Um, this morning, Zach's gone, and he's doing the Kalahari thing, and Caitlin is there helping him. And so they have some dogs, and they needed the dogs taken care of. And so I did that last night, and they, something needed to be done this morning. And I'm on the way. I always come in early. I try to get here about 7, but I was late this morning, but wasn't the dog's fault. But anyway, I, I was coming in. And, uh, and then Pam, as I was leaving, she said, I'll do the dogs. And I said, no, I'll do the dogs. And, and I knew it was kind of raining outside. I really, although it kind of made sense for her to do the dogs in a timing kind of thing, I just really couldn't imagine her doing my wife over there doing the dogs on kind of a rainy day. And, I, you know, I just thought, now nah, she's going to hate that. Although she's a dog person. But, you know, I'm just thinking, no, I got this. So I told her, no, I got it. But why? Why do I want to do it? Even though I had other things to do and needed to get here and had a time crunch. Just, you know, that's how we, when we love someone, we want to do for them, right? Right. Well, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus talks about loving him in this way. And where it is, is it's Luke chapter 7. And I want to read it to you. It's an event that happens in Jesus' life. And during that event, he tells a story. It's very cool stuff, but it teaches us how to love God with action. It's in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start with verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, he's, he's in a new town, and uh, he's being greeted by people. And now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered, this is Jesus, and Jesus entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, she's weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus saw this, he said to himself, so the Pharisee's seeing all this, he's not liking it, and he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, talking about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, and that she's a sinner. Now, when Luke writes this, when he uses the word, this woman was a sinner, it's kind of a polite way of saying this woman was a prostitute. And in that culture, in the Jewish society, to touch somebody that was a sinner of that magnitude or, you know, made you unclean. And so Simon, who, who's the Pharisee, who's trying to kind of figure out who... Jesus is, he's going, well, he must not be a prophet or really must not be for God or he'd be able to figure this out. It's pretty obvious. And so that's kind of what's going on here. This woman lives outside the edge of polite society, but she notices something. Even though she's outside of polite society, she notices something that's happening. And what's happening, we figure out from the rest of the story that I'll get to in a moment, is that although 
this Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to his house for a meal. And, and it was like, in a sense, he was serving Jesus. He's going to provide a meal for Jesus. So that's kind of like an act of service. But what's happening while he invites Jesus in is there's sort of a, a, a standard of that time of customary courtesies that were, that were done for an invited guest typically. And Simon definitely does not go overboard here. He actually, he kind of neglects a lot of the common courtesies of the day. And it may have been because Simon, a Pharisee who's also a teacher, saw Jesus as an equal or maybe not even as an equal. And typically what would happen is to come to a meal, because they reclined sort of on their elbow at these low tables without chairs, you're kind of down around people's feet. People wore sandals, dusty roads, and they were dirty. Typically when you come into somebody's house, they would provide you with a basin of water. Or if they had a servant, the servant would wash your feet uh, before you would eat a meal. And not only that, uh, typically they would greet the person with a kiss like they do in Mideastern countries. And, and maybe even just a, a little bit of light, inexpensive olive oil to sort of refresh yourself on your head. People would just kind of spread that on dusty roads and just, it was kind of a, just a way of refreshing someone. Simon didn't do any of this. And so the other thing that you need to know about this story is in the first century, the houses were typically small. And when they had a big meal, many times that would move outside into the courtyard, still considered part of their house, but it was kind of a semi-public area. The boundaries weren't quite as set. Sometimes they'd be surrounded by a low wall. But what happened was those meals then out in the courtyard would become semi-public events where people in the neighborhood and people of the town, because they were curious, especially if there was a teacher there of some renown as Jesus is becoming, they, they kind of gather around and they just listen in on what's happening at the meal. So that's kind of the scene that's going on. And now this woman, again, outside the edge of polite society, she's there and she notices that these things aren't happening. And something, her heart seems to break, and then she enters in a Pharisee's house. Took a lot of guts for her to do that. Kneels down at the feet of Jesus, who are and his feet's extended out from him. But and she starts weeping, covering his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair, kissing his feet, and then pouring out a, a bottle of perfume onto his feet. And, and he's doing all these things, she is, as really an act of service to Christ. And again, in Jewish society, Jesus wasn't really supposed to allow this, this woman, especially this woman, to touch him. But, but he allows all this to happen. And, and he wasn't supposed to do that because he'd be considered unclean, as I said. And then what happens next is Jesus uses her act of service as an object lesson to teach about loving God. And we'll pick that up next, starting in verse 40. And so Jesus is sitting there. She's washing his feet, drying them with her hair. Jesus knows that Simon's thinking, ah, he's not the real deal, or he had no, this lady is bad news, and he wouldn't be allowing this to happen. Verse 40 says, and Jesus answered him, Simon, even though Simon didn't say anything, he knows what he's thinking. Jesus answers him, 
Simon, I have something to say to you. Kind of like a teaching. And Simon replies, say it, teacher. And Jesus tells a story. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii is about a day's wage. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave both. He forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Jesus asked the question. And then Simon answered, and he said, and he uses this word suppose. And in the Greek, that means he's, he's answering sort of reluctantly, like he knows, oh, kind of caught here. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. And then Jesus continues to talk to Simon, but he turns his attention to the woman. And he says, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. It's really amazing. Jesus here uses what this lady does as an object lesson to teach Simon and us about love, how we love through acts of service. It's really what it's about. Because she understood, probably more than anybody in that crowd, that she was a sinner, which is something that we all have to understand that we are all sinners. We all have to discover this. She got it. Not everybody today gets that. We're all sinners. And the question is, how can we love God with acts of service? Since Jesus isn't here for us to wash his feet, how do we love God with acts of service? And I'm telling you, we see this every day, every Sunday. When you drive in, the first thing you see a lot of times is parking lot guys who are serving. You know they don't get paid for that, right? Although, if you gave them beef jerky or bacon, they would love it. But, you know, they're, they're just there serving you is what they're doing. And, and then you come in and you're greeted at the door. And then maybe you grab some coffee and there are people behind the counter serving that up and preparing that and getting that already. And then you drop your kids off and there's children's workers who are caring and loving your kids while you're in here. And all this stuff is happening. We have technical people up in the up in the balcony there and behind the scenes and people singing praises and music on this platform, playing music, singing, you know, all this stuff. Why are they doing all that? I, I try to come in, I was late this morning, I try to come in around 7 a.m. When I get here at 7, there are already 100 people here working to make things happen. It's just, and, and then a, a van load of people go, go over to Paulding to make that happen. I mean, it's just, what's going on? Serving. I was here Friday night, and they were having the Kalahari Friday evening, having the Kalahari, you know, kids were coming in registering. There's so many kids, 
over a couple hundred that they're taking them in waves. You know, the middle school comes and the high school comes. They're taking them over. Same time, there was stuff happening with Upward Basketball. We had some volunteers there. And at the same time, the women were having a, a women's thing where it was like, eat all the chocolate you want. You know, all this stuff was happening. And it was like, you know, people are just serving all the time. Why? Well, they're doing it in response to God's love. It's their way of loving God. And so January is a great time for us to kind of figure stuff like this. How are we going to love God with our service? We actually have a class, it's called 301, that will just share with you opportunities of service. If you're here, if you're a believer and you're part of our church family, and we don't ask anybody new to do this, but if you've been around for a while and you haven't, you realize that, hey, I need to serve God more, that might be a place to start. Or just find a friend who's doing it and join them. And find a place where you can enjoy serving God. Well, the fourth love language, the last one that we wanted to talk about is, is called gift giving. And it's just another practical way that we can love God back. I think giving may be the most primal, basic way that we love someone because giving almost always involves sacrifice. And we talked about how really sacrifice is the language of love. And, and giving something a lot of times involves that. And, and I'm not going to tell you what the TV preachers tell you. You know, hey, send in this seed gift and you get that in the mail. And boy, in about three days, you should get a bigger check in the mail back to you. You know, that's just going to come anonymously and all this stuff. We should... Giving in order to get isn't love. Giving, it's, and if it's the same in our relationships with people. If we're just giving something to our spouse because we know that's going to come back to us in some way, then that's not really loving them. That's kind of just loving ourselves in a roundabout way, right? We want to give. But if we love somebody... We want to give to them. Now, we, we see this in this story, in the event that happens. This woman comes in. She's a prostitute. She has a vial of perfume. A lot of times women wore this vial of perfume around their necks. This is very key for her business. Um, People didn't shower that much back then. You know, it was just kind of a whole different deal. And, and a prostitute having perfume, it would be part of her, just part of the way she did business. Probably a good chance this, because this was expensive, a lot of times it could be that this was the most expensive thing that she owned. And what does she do? She pours it out on the feet of Jesus. You know, this is an implication, implication that her life has changed. That she's in a, you know, she's leaving the business. But she pours it all out. Most expensive thing she owns probably. Pours it out on his feet. She gives her gift. It's interesting to me to think about gifts. As some of you know, eight of us um, 
about a week and a half or so, are going over to Thailand to visit our orphanages. And uh, it was always our plan that we would actually take, that a group of us would go over there at least every two years. It's been like four or five years, and we just need to get over there. We might even do another one in 18 months. We need to get back on this every two year kind of a thing. But anyway, we're we're going over there. And I got to tell you, I've been thinking a lot about this. Because having traveled in third world countries, and not that Thailand's all that much third world, but up where we're going, it kind of is. But having traveled in third world countries, there's something that sometimes happens when, when I'm in remote places that distresses me. And here's what it is. Sometimes I'll walk into a village, and, and I'll be with some people, you know, somebody's showing me around or whatever, and it may be in uh, Central African Republic or uh, the Cam- Cameroon or Cambodia or Thailand or wherever, uh, and you walk into a village, and then somebody who you've never even met, they meet you and maybe invite you in, and then this is the distressing part. They give you a, sometimes, they give you a gift. And you're sitting there or standing there thinking, you have nothing. And compared to you, I have unlimited resources. And you're giving me this gift. And the distressing part is I'll feel like, and they're not giving this to get anything back. They're giving it out of hospitality and they just want to do for you, kind of like an honor thing. But when that happens, it's distressing to think I'm going to walk out of this village and this person is going to be poorer than they were than when I walked into the village because they tried to be nice to me. Anybody tracking with me there? It kind of happens in our society sometimes. Sometimes somebody that you know has a lot less resources than you do gives you something of value. And, and you, you really like this person, but they have less than you do, and then they give you something of value. And it kind of, you're, you know, you're grateful, but it bugs you a little bit. And, and then you try to figure out ways how to give them more back. Anybody know what I'm saying? Well, that's how it is. So... The reason I've been thinking about this is because I'm trying to figure out what's some culturally acceptable way I can be prepared in case that happens to give back. So that's what I've been thinking it through. But anyway, the point is this. We can never outgive God. God owns all the resources in the universe. It's his creation, including you and me. There's no way that we can outgive God because of the way God loves. And as a matter of fact, in this story, this lady doesn't even get off her knees before Jesus loves her back. Look at verse 48. Now he's been looking at her addressing Simon, but now he addresses her. He says, then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Jesus does, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to notice something. She's made this tremendous sacrifice. She's served him. She's given Jesus maybe the most expensive asset that she had. And, but does that save her? Is her service saving her or her brokenness saving her or her gift saving her? No, no, no. What's saving her? Her faith. 
That's the only thing that saves, our faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, your faith has saved you. Same with us. No matter what we try to do for God, none of that, none of us, hopefully nobody ever thinks that when we're serving God, like here at Grace, that nobody doing that is thinking, this is somehow getting me in good with God, or it's getting me one step closer, or it's just a little bit helping me earn my salvation. No, the whole Bible's telling us that is not the case. That's the wrong kind of thinking. It's faith that saves us. And I know a bunch of you here, you do give God your gifts. A lot of people here tithe. That means giving 10% of your income back to God. And and that's how we run things here. Hopefully impact a lot of people. We've had Growing with Grace and Next Step. That's how we have resources to build buildings and just all this stuff. It doesn't really matter in one sense. What matters is that we're loving God back in practical ways with our time, with our words, with our service, with gifts. We want to love God back in practical ways. Not to earn our salvation anyway. It doesn't do that. Just as an expression of love back to God. And that's what we want to do here at Grace. And really it's a good time to think about this year, January to December. How are you going to love God? Because God's saying, that's the number one thing. Get that right. Get that right and everything else kind of flows out of that. And if your spiritual life ever gets a little stagnant. You don't need ten principles or you don't need to read five books or anything like that. Love God every day. Figure out a practical way to love him back. And you will begin to get out of that stagnant spot in your Christian life. And I know actually based on a response from a couple weeks ago, there's several people here, and there always is here at Grace, and you're not a Christian, or, or you're not sure that you are, which means you're probably not, but, and you're here, and, and we're glad that you're here. And I would never want to embarrass you or put you on the spot or anything like that. We're glad you're here. We want you to keep coming and finding out more about God. And some of you have heard this stuff before, and some of you haven't. Some of you have heard this message that God knows you. He created you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all your flaws. And, and, and see, we have this fear. If somebody really knew all the bad things about us, that they wouldn't love us. Well, God's saying he knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you. You're more flawed than you ever realize. That's the truth. And, and so am I. And God loves you and me more than we ever dared to imagine. And he's offering us a way to be reconciled, to be connected with him. Sinner, Kevin, with a righteous and holy God. And the way was through love and sacrifice. That he allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to come 
and to die on the cross, put to death by his own creation. He bled out on the cross in order to pay our right and just penalty for our sin. Of course, we think that seems like that penalty's too much. I mean, I'm a sinner, but